Welcome to She Brigade, the podcast. I'm your host, Belun Klemsemeche. On this podcast, we bring you amazing trailblazing women to come and share their life and career journeys with you. From entrepreneurs to nine to fivers, join us as each guest takes you through all of the highs and all of the lows of their journeys that have led them to being who they are today. Hey Brigade and welcome to another episode of She Brigade. If you're new here, welcome and I hope you come back for more episodes. If you're a returning Brigada, welcome back and thank you for always showing love. Remember guys, if you like this episode, please share it with a friend or tag us at SheBrigade on all socials and let us know what you think. So let's get into today's episode. Our guest for today is Melissa Mabinza. Melissa is the founder of Kulalula, a microfinancing VC fund for black women in tech. Last year, Kulalula made its first angel investment into Native Nylon, an upcoming fashion e-commerce startup. Melissa has a BCom accounting degree, and she also did her honors in investment management. She started her career in corporate until a tragedy pushed her to follow her passion. Tune in to hear all about her story. So, let's dive in. Hey, Lisa, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Pilantle. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited. Um... So we're going to dive right in, okay. okay? And on this podcast, we like to start all the way from the beginning. So I want you to take us all the way back. Take us up back to you growing up, what it was like, what you were like as a kid, primary school, high school, everything. Oh, that's quite a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot, yes. <laughs> um, so I grew up in a very entrepreneurial family, religious family and entrepreneurial family. And I think it's because of that upbringing that it shaped who I ended up becoming. Uh, one of the most important things I think I learned from my parents, my father was a doctor. Um, he passed away, um, unfortunately. And then my mom was a businesswoman who had her own uh, designing business and as well as ran the properties in the family. But she was also a teacher. And because of that, I learned from a very young age about how liquid money can be. You can go into business, you can invest, and at the same time, you can um, work at the same time. You never had to choose one particular box. You never had to just be one thing. I always had the freedom to be a number of different things at one time. And I think it's because of that upbringing. And um, my siblings also follow similar paths because we would work in the family businesses every weekend and we'd just be so familiar with that environment. And um, one of the other things is I went, the high school that I went to, I went to Haifa Park High. And it was a school that was notorious for being bad, <laughs> very bad. But what was incredible was like all the kids that went to the school um, have become such incredible and phenomenal, not all, but most have become phenomenal business leaders, um, some of which own their own media houses, are designers, are creators, because it was such a breeding ground for identity. Uh, like we got to pick who we were from a very young age. We knew, a lot of us knew what we would want to be. And I think it's because of the teachers I had that I knew that I wanted to pursue a career in investment management. That's so fascinating. I was actually going to ask, why, what do you think it was about that environment that cultivated that? 
I don't know. I think it was the teachers, uh, first and foremost, because we had incredible uh, teachers, but also living in a mining town, there's only one um, business, one big business, and that is Cecil. Outside of that, there aren't um, a lot of big businesses. So the other businesses in the area and the other activities that are run in the area, like even like restaurants and that sort of thing, were owned by parents of people we knew. So everything seemed accessible. Dreams seemed accessible. Like um, there were so many things that you could imagine were possible because we were seeing it um, develop around us. And we were seeing the sort of visibility that I don't think you, um, I've seen in like growing up in Gauteng, um, living in Gauteng, sorry. And that is what I think made the difference for us. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so when you were in high school, what did you want? What did you think you were going to be? And, or what did you oh, want? Oh, initially, <laughs> initially, I wanted to be a dancer. I even went to my parents. <gasps> yes, I did. <laughs> and there's like a whole, oh, like, wow. top okay. 10, not even top 10, top one student going to my parents and saying, no, I want to do, because there was um, a new teacher that had come along and she was like, she's teaching dance. And I was like, oh, I want to do this. And I was could, like, could you, could you dance though? I could, like, I could, I <laughs> could. Uh, just checking, just checking, just checking. And um, I could also sing. And um, ah. I was like, okay, I want to be like a dancer and an artist and everything. And I went to my parents. I remember I was in grade nine. And then I was like, okay, I picked like the subjects that they wanted. You know, the typical math, science, every, everything that makes them happy. I didn't yeah, actually pick science. Yeah. I hate science. I picked <laughs> math and accounting. And then I picked dance. And then my mom looked at the page and said, oh, you're not doing that. You're <laughs> just not going to do that. And then my heart was broken. And then I was like, okay, cool. And then she's like, no, you need to um, pick something that um, you can make money out of. And then for a while, I was upset about it. And I remember my dad sitting me down. And he was like, it's just important to have a career whereby even if you're not employed, you can make money for yourself. Like in the same way that in him becoming a doctor, he wasn't employed per se, but he could still make money for himself on the side. And um, mm. he was just saying that do that so that if you have that safety net, you're then able to do other things that you want as well. And I think that was just yeah. the most like beautiful advice. And it like hit me at the time that, okay, I think I can do that. And then um, I switched out the dance for science, which I, I kind of regret because I could have had so much fun. And I switched it out. And, um, but it was through like the years that came that I realized, because remember when you're in like grade eight and grade nine, you don't necessarily, you don't have, um, you're not that in depth with the subjects that you're doing. And then when you get to grade 10, you start to like get like into the real maths and the real accounting. And I was like, wow, I actually enjoy this. And it, it wasn't necessarily then that I realized I wanted a career in investment management, but I knew I wanted a career in finance. So um, um, because we don't necessarily, especially living in a mining town like Secunda, we didn't have access to a lot of like accountants and that sort of thing. So you're not quite sure of the differences between all these different fields. But I had an idea that, no, I'm good at this and I want a career in this. But not only that, um, like I said, growing up in like the entrepreneurial family that I did, my father used to like sit us down and on a Sunday <laughs> because we used to go to church on Saturday. And then on a Sunday, he'd sit us down and be like, um, these are my investments. And he would take us through them. This is the return that I made. It was quite boring. 
But at the same time, it like sparked something in me. And I remember at 16, that's when I bought my first share. It was in a Wow. Yes. So Cecil, and remember, I, uh, Cecil is right next to Secunda, right in Secunda, quite mm, frankly. Mm. So um, because of like seeing the physical representation of the company, I was like, oh, I want to own like a piece of that, you know? It, it wasn't like a huge, yes. this huge decision. So I like, um, they, they had even advertised the list, the listing, the BEE scheme. And then I like went up to him and I was like, listen, I want uh, this. And he's like, okay. And it was back in the day when there wasn't like you could buy online, like you could buy shares online and ha- the access that we have now. So yeah, um, like easy equities yes. and all these things that <laughs> yes. we have now. So like yes. uh, we, I had to phone and I sat on the phone with the compute share people. And then they ask like all your details and everything. And then they mail you your share certificate. And then you're like, wow. I own a piece of something. So like, I think all these different experiences um, really shaped me into um, the preliminary ideas of the career I wanted to have. Wow. Wow. I love your story. And I love that, you know, you're already cultivating the skills that you're using today in your business at such a young age. Like, I love to see a, 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 like the golden thread in, in the story. <laughs> it's it's been yeah. a wild story. It's been a wild life, but it's also been an interesting one and a fun one. And um, I'm just grateful for the experiences that I had, and I'm grateful for the parents mm. that I had. Um, like especially after my father passed, I it's when I realized that wow, I was really gifted with such an incredible uh, person to shape me in the way that he did. Mm, mm. Okay, so so then you, you studied accounting, right? Yes, and then you did your other investment management. Yes. Yes. So take us through that and then take us through what it was like post-graduation, like with your first job. So um, I, went, I studied, went to the University of Johannesburg. I had no idea what was going to be in store for me, honestly. And I enjoyed accounting. Accounting was very interesting, but it was also very rule-based. There were a lot of rules that like you apply. And I think um, people that have studied, especially the route to become a CA, would agree that geez, like it is a lot that um, you need to um, know all the time and know at once at the same time. And then uh, towards the end of the degree, I was like, I'm not enjoying this, you know, like what kind of honors do I really want to do? And then I sat and I thought and I looked up different programs because um, at first I only um, had looked up become accounting and the CA route. And then afterwards I was like, um, what else, what other options do I have? And then I looked up SEMA as well, because there were honors in finance that was, that we called that the SEMA route. And uh, cause it was another, cause I was very good at finance out of all my subjects. And, um, then I looked into investment management and I was like, wow, okay, I really like this. And it was at a time when I was watching people like George Soros, Chamit Palipatia, just watching them on YouTube. And I was like, this is where I want to build a career because it wasn't just a subject that I was good at. I, it was something that I could identify with, um, especially having the power to create access because that's what investment management does. It gives you the ability to move um, liquid capital into illiquid assets and also create funding opportunities for so many people if you go into like private equity. And um, above and beyond that, it was also a space whereby you could make money without ever having a client, without ever having 
anybody. You could just log into a platform and if you had the knowledge and the skill to do so, you could bring in return for yourself. And I thought that is just the most incredible thing ever. <laughs> it was just phenomenal when I discovered that. And um, even then when I was in my honors, I was trading shares because um, it was easier to do so. And um, with the advancements of technology. And that's when I realized that, no, this is, this is who I want to be. And um, it's something I started heavily identifying with. So I took the course, signed up for the course, and it was the most incredible part of my journey. Like, I think out of everything that I've studied, because even now I'm doing my CFAs, I, that is like the benchmark of the best lecturers I've ever had, the benchmark of the best um, education that has really served me the most in my career. And then I went to corporate to work my first job. <laughs> and it was who it was quite a lot um, because there is quite a difference between what you've learned and then you go into the workforce and you try to apply it. And in trying to mm. apply it, it, it just you you were like um, stopped a lot because there, there are hierarchies and um, there are structures. And girl, listen. Yes, and there was yes. so much. And I remember feeling like I am drowning. Like I felt like I was waking up and dying every day. And I would just go to this job. And the, the, the um, it was quite far. I don't want to name the company. But <laughs> it was quite far as well. I, I would travel to this place and it was quite far. And I'd go there and I'd work. And then um, what also was... Um, incredibly eye-opening was the differences in how I was being treated compared to like my um the other grads that were there as well um because I remember when we first got there they were like oh um you guys are not getting laptops but the other grads are and the only grads that weren't getting laptops were the black ones <laughs> and I was like okay yeah. what is happening <laughs> It was yeah. like, okay. And then I had had to bring like my personal laptop and work from it oh. and do that. And then I only remember getting a laptop um, about two months in. And I was like, okay, that is fine. And I just kept pushing. Like you don't have a choice at that point because what mm -hmm. corporate does to a lot of us is that it locks you in. And once you've like started having um, a life that you have to be accountable for, because maybe your parents are not necessarily paying for you, you you're paying for yourself, you're looking after yourself, mm. you have to then, you're still stuck in um, that system whereby you have to show up, you have to pay your bills and that sort of thing. But then it was at that time um, while I was in the program that I was like, okay, you know what, I've got to start planning what my exit strategy is going to look like because this is not the life that I see for myself. And um, mm. <clears throat> um, if I'm not enjoying who I am and if I'm not at my freest and at my boldest and at my best, because that was another thing about the job that was so depressing was um, they would give me a lot of admin work. And I was like, I don't understand <laughs> the type of work I'm getting. And because it wasn't, it wasn't in relation to anything that I had studied. So it was through that that I started to like save and, and put aside about 60% of my salary and I'd put it aside and put it aside and put it wow. aside. Yes. Like, That's a lot. Yes. <laughs> it was a lot. 
<laughs> but like that, that's the nature of like my life. Like I'm crazy like that, especially with money, because like the the type of environment, like I said, even with my parents growing up, that was the type of person I was. I would just like, you know what? Let's yeah. put it aside. Let's see what it can do for me. And it was from that point that um, I'd started developing um, a mindset of who I wanted to be. It, it's not that I wanted to get into business for like the the what is that? The glory that comes with being in business. Because a lot of people can be like, wow, you look incredible. You're you're doing incredible things. No, I just wanted my freedom. That is all I wanted. I wanted to own my time. I wanted to own my talent because it wasn't being utilized in a way that was being um, to its best ability, you know? Yeah, to its potential. Yes, ex- yeah. exactly. And mm. that's when um, I decided um, it wasn't immediately a few years um, into it. I decided that, okay, I'm leaving. I'm going to create Kula Lula. And um, I, I come up with the name because my name is Melissa, which means grow. And Kula also means grow. And I was like, oh, that is so cool. And then <laughs> I came up with it just like that. And that's how like the idea, not the business yet, because it took a lot to put the business together. But that's how the idea yes. was born. Wow. Sure. Okay. And now then then now let's talk about when the business itself was born. Oh, okay. That, that was um 2019. So um before that, um, because I'd taken kind of a year to um figure out like, okay, how are we gonna do this? And um starting to um get into like the regulations, getting it into the structure and how we were gonna go about like the funding round and designing it. But at that point, it was still an idea and I was still like saving up um, all the money because I bootstrapped to actually get into the space um, through the investments that I had made in um, public equities and trading on different platforms mm. and stuff like that. Because like I said, I, I come from investment management, so I, I do know I do know how to um, use the skills that I had acquired and the knowledge I had acquired over the years. So then... <clears throat> Um, in 2019, my father's cancer came back and it was so, so bad. And, um, I just remember him, like my mom calling us back, like, okay, you guys have to come home. And, um, we came home and, um, got to see him and he couldn't, and I just remember this part. Cause like, this was like the worst part because there was, um, because of he was such like a great leader and such an incredible person. So many people were visiting him at the hospital, right? And um, the people who visited him before us um, were, they got to hear his last words. We never got to hear what my father's last words were because he stopped talking after that. And um, we came in afterwards and they're like, no, he can't speak anymore. And we just stayed with him for about like, two weeks and watched him pass away, which was such an incredibly, but at the same time, I am grateful because if it had happened during COVID, because I like thinking about that, like if it had happened during COVID, we wouldn't have even been able to see him. And I empathize with so many people that have lost loved ones during COVID because it is like such a horrific experience, like to watch someone you love so much die in front of you. And each day you see them die uh, more and more. But after he passed, I was like so moved by his life. Like he was so bold (laughs) and he wasn't like famous or anything. He didn't care to be visible, but he would just like 
push for things in such an extraordinary way. He changed so many people's lives, so many babies he brought into the world for couples who never um, foresaw that they could even have kids. And um, I was like, at that point, I'm ready to build a legacy and I'm ready to build something that is so powerful generationally that can be passed down to my kids and their kids. And they would never have to work because um, the nature of investments is that they always would generate income. Even if you moved from like public equities into private equities and into defensive investments and had properties and all those sorts of things, like they would um, protect um, like our family line for years to come. Mm. And I wanted to spread the impact that he had made in the world and also the teachings that he had um um, he had fostered and instilled in us. And because I also remember the one of the last days before he passed away, we were around his bed was me and my sister and my cousin. And um, we were like, let's sing, because if he can't talk, he can at least hear us sing. And he started singing. And as we started singing, he was he started mumbling the words of the song because they were church songs that we were singing to him. And we all like burst out crying because it was like, what? Oh. Like he can actually hear us, you know? Yeah. And then um, through that, we were like, um, we had like the last prayer together. And we told him there on the spot that like, we're going to continue your legacy. Because he wanted like, there's nothing more he wanted then to like build his legacy. Even like <clears throat> before he was hospitalized, he was trying to expand his, um, his surgery. And... Um, because of that, those are one of the dreams that I also have in Kulelula of having a um, medical medical or f- health tech business that we invest in um, because that is one of the most important things that mattered to him. But we had told him then that like, because we knew that he could hear us. So uh, we had told him then that we we're going to continue your legacy. And that was how Kulelula was born. And um, through that, wow. a few days later, I like wrote down the whole idea. How would the business work? Because I was like, okay, initially, you might not get clients and you have to be realistic <laughs> because this is South Africa. You have to be yeah. realistic. So I was like, you might not get clients. How are you going to do this? And then I was like, okay, we're going to grow an equity portfolio publicly. T- um, take off those returns take them to invest in private equity. And through that, then we would start um, getting our businesses off the ground. One by one, you get one off the ground. We invest in one um, through microfinancing, which is about uh, ticket sizes of 250000 to 400000 to start a business. And then um, we would have public, um, public funding calls to allow people to... Um, apply for funding because that's another thing that we wanted to change in the funding space is that funding is not openly accessible to everybody and that is one of the things we wanted one to prioritize black women and also uh, create access to equity and um, through doing so we would empower so many more people people who wouldn't uh, traditionally be selected for funding and then um, another thing that we wanted to do was to um, scale the startups that we work with and either by um, trying to raise Series A funding for them, which is what we're currently doing with Nature Nylon, but I'll, <laughs> I think we'll get into that later, the businesses that we invested in. Yes. But like um, yes. scaling them through um, Series A funding by contacting so many other people in private equity, working with crowdfunding um, organizations, which is what we're currently doing to see how we can work towards at least 
getting them to market and also scaling them initially to get that Series A funding. So yeah, um, it's been quite a journey because a lot of the stuff has happened it, and it's, it's wild to put an idea on paper and see it come to light, which is why, um, I don't know if you know the Bible is like, write the vision down and make it plain. It's, it's one of the most, it's the best advice I could give anybody. Like write mm. your vision down, write down what you see for your life, what you see for yourself. Try, try ignore the noise that comes from the outside and decide who is Pelantle to you, you know? And there's mm. so much possibility. There's so many people that are going to believe in what you're building that you don't even know exist yet. Like they're out there, but you just need to first put it in words and, and define who you are, define your why, define your reason. Because a lot of times it's going to be so hard to move in the spaces that we want to occupy, occupy, especially as black women. There are so many barriers and not even barriers to entry. You will get in. Sometimes you get in. And then once you're in, um, it's still hard as it's so hard to even navigate the space, but, um, you can always return to your why and look back and I can look back on my why, which was my father's legacy and be like, I've done it justice, you know, and say that I've, I've like created something that he would smile about <laughs> every single day. And knowing your why lets you like move forward with so much more focus and resilience than anything else. I, I absolutely love that. Um, just to add on to what you're saying, another thing that I love about y having a why is that when you are clear about your why mm, and your vision, mm. um, there are multiple ways to get there. So you won't yes, get stuck yes, in, I want so to true. do this specific thing. I want this mm, title. I want mm. this. There, there's so many. If you have a vision, there's so many avenues. And if, yes. you, and if you get stuck, like you're saying, if you hit a wall, you can always go back and be like, wait, this is what I'm trying to achieve. Let me try this other route. route this, yes. Let me try that yes. other route. Yes, yes. You open yourself up to so much more. Yes. No. I, by I, being that focused, it's like it sounds like 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 it doesn't make sense, but like you open yourself so much more by just being that more focused. Yeah, yeah. I I completely mm. like agree. Um, it's so important as well that you always have um a continuously evolving vision that is so so important yes one that is yes. not you don't you don't have to bind yourself to one concept of what your dream looked like your what your why looked like and what your dream looked like but it, to be able to adapt it to the current circumstances even think about like navigating COVID-19 we launched a fund during COVID-19 you we had to adapt and uh, change things on the spot a lot of things had to change on the spot to ensure that the survival of the business that I was building. So I think that is what you're saying. It's one of the most important things ever just to be adaptable and just to be able to um, reimagine and rework the same dream that you've always had. 100%. What would you, what would you um, say, give us three things that you think are so important to consider when you, when someone is thinking of starting up a business, especially in a similar field to what you started. Who? Okay. Money. <laughs> Money. No, like, in all honesty, you need to have capital because, um, mm -hmm. to bring investors on board, especially for like a private equity fund, let's say you want to bring investors on board and you want to be a venture capital fund, or you can be an angel fund as well. There are so many different avenues that you can explore to create your own fund. But, um, 
you need to have capital on hand so that you can prove your track record to other investors. Uh, um, as an investor myself, someone who's um, invested in public equities and um, all the sorts of things in the past, it's nothing is better than proving you can do what you do than building a track record. And you can only do that with capital. So I think um, having your own capital is very important um, to start off uh, funding. And then I think the second thing that you need to have is resilience because it, it the patience and resilience, I'll just put those as one thing because the nature of private equity, a lot of these investments are long-term. They're not something that happens now. And then um, you're going to see returns tomorrow. No, um, they're also illiquid assets. You can't necessarily sell it off in the quickest time frame. So you need to be aware of that. It's not like trading on the stock market where you have willing buyers and you have um, market makers that are able to create like the liquidity pools that are necessary for you to be able to sell your shares in Tencent or your shares in um, what is this Apple, you know? So, um, having the patience to understand that you're in it for the long haul, that this is a business whereby your first business can really see the type of returns that you had envisioned in five years or 10 years is something that you really need to have in mind. And I think the third thing that you need to have is authenticity, because I think a lot of us, and this goes for any business, a lot of us want to mold ourselves in the image of what a black successful business person looks like, whether that is like Patrice Mutepe or um, who, who Kanye Lomo, Basitani um, Kumano, mm. they, they were incredible. They, those are the OGs and they've been phenomenal. But a lot of the time we think, okay, that that's the, the way that I need to portray myself. That's what I need to look like. Um, I need to go to, I need to go and speak and talk and speak a particular way. I cannot mm. express my sexuality. I cannot express um, I, political ideas and so many different things. And I think um, staying true and being authentic to yourself, you open up doors for so many girls that come up after you. You open up doors for so many guys that come up after you as well. People who can identify with you. And um, I think I remember listening to a sermon by uh, Sarah Jakes where she was like, um, uh, there, there were a lot of women who came into Christianity because they saw themselves represented by seeing a girl like her, someone who had had an abortion in the, uh, not an abortion, sorry, a pre teenage pregnancy in the past, be able to rise up to the ranks that she rose up to. And um, people mm. seeing your true self, even your failures, like it's okay to, to navigate the world and fail and then come back and show people that you're resilient because they'll be able to identify themselves through that yes. and realize there's space for me because a lot of the time we create these niches that, okay, um, a black businesswoman is supposed to look like this. She's supposed to have a life together. Her, the graph is only going up. <laughs> like she's only winning and winning and winning. And that's not necessarily like, yeah, like it just goes like this. <laughs> yes. So that's not necessarily yeah. what it always looks like. Sometimes mm. like we lay in bed for a day because we're depressed. <laughs> and sometimes mm. we're going through a heartbreak. Um, I think showing your complexity and showing um the world that we're we're human at the same time, that we're 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 capable of being great, but also capable of navigating life 
differently to um, the people that came before us opens the door for little girls that come afterwards, the Gen Zs that come that are coming up right now. They can see that I there's room for me in the space because a lot of the times we um, we try to mold, fold ourselves, and mold ourselves into. Um, the talking points that people think, oh, that that's what makes a great business leader. Oh, that's what makes like a great person in tech. She she talks like this. She um, she represents this. She looks like this, you know, because um, also there also comes the image. The image also comes along. And sometimes it's okay to just be the girl that shows up to an event wearing a hoodie instead of always being the girl in high heels and that sort of thing or even has a realistic lifestyle you live in an you live in a normal place <laughs> or you have a normal car those things are okay because mm-hmm. um not not necessarily all um your assets have to be displayed in a way that makes it look like you're in business so just be authentic because more people will relate to your story and your story opens so many doors for so many others when you are your true self. I love, love, absolutely love that. Yes. Okay, so now I want you to take us through what the process was like for selecting your first business to invest in. Oh, so um, when we chose to invest in Native Mind, I feel like I feel like if you're looking for funding, you must pay attention now. <laughs> <laughs> so when we first chose to invest in Native Nylon, the the first um, part of that is really venture design, whereby um, I sit down and I think what areas would I want to invest in, what areas are growing, and that sort of thing. And this was pre COVID nineteen. So um, at the beginning, I was like, okay, let's choose a business that is easily, easily creatable and easily scalable. It didn't have to be the most creative idea. Because I, I think a lot of the times when people hear tech, they think, okay, you need to invent something that never existed. That, <laughs> that's going to change yeah, the world. It must be an app. <laughs> yes, or, yes. yes. But the problem with that from an investor's perspective is that is very hard to sell. Because when you're marketing something that people have never ever heard of and you're going to try and even get your first customer on board it is going to take so much work just to get one customer on board Mm. and also um another thing with a lot of like um the tech applications and that sort of thing is um they usually start off free and then you have to have like a niche version and the burn rate for those businesses is pretty high because you're going to burn through capital very quickly if you're not having customers that are actively coming on board all the time and and paying customers and that's not to say the conversion part of it and that's not to say that they are bad businesses because that's another thing because um Mm. a lot of people get the misconception that if a venture capitalist or uh, some an investor, angel investor comes along and then they saying no, that they're saying that this is a bad business. And I think those things get misconstrued. It's just maybe not a good match for the type of funding they're offering. Because um, with our ticket size, it's pretty small in, in comparison to the bigger businesses that are investing um, like millions in startups. They have the ability to burn that over time, right? And then they have the ability to spend uh, so much on marketing and crazy amounts on um, customer acquisition. Whereas with um, a smaller ticket size, you can't necessarily spend that much. <laughs> 
um, the business has to get to a point that is sustainable with a small check size. So that's why it was important to do what was tried and tested already and um, take something and innovate it slightly, just change it for the market that we were interested in. So that's when I decided, okay, we're going to look for um, beauty e-commerce stores and um, what is this? Fashion e-commerce stores. And why I chose these two was because those are spaces that um, I particularly as a customer engage in. I would actively buy, I'd spend close to like even 5,000 on K-beauty, makeup, on like <laughs> on a monthly basis. Relatable. Yeah, I know, I know. And, and I'd buy one and it would make me happy. And I'd yeah. be like, wow, oh, I love yeah. it so much. And I was like, so um, if I can see myself buying from those stores, those are stores I can um, support and bring to market as well because I, I see myself as a customer of those stores. So we had public funding applications open in January of 2020. And um, we like had an influx and quite a lot of people that were interested. And then like COVID happened. <laughs> and then we're like, okay, now wh- what's supposed to happen? Because the world is ending. Um, if you remember March 2020. And then, um, yeah, I do. Yeah. Like things started to like trickle down a bit. The world was literally ending. <laughs> and also uh, the amount of applications that we got because uh, initially we had so much interest because remember it's like capital, fi- it's funding people are offering you money. So we had so much interest and then we watched it like dwindle down (laughs) and get less and less because at the same time, I wouldn't blame anybody. You don't know what the future holds as well. So um, it was pretty tricky to navigate. And then we also had to push our timelines because we're like, okay, we wanted to invest in it round about, um, when was it? I think by May and then June, July, it, the, the startup would be up and running. And then I was like, okay, no, let's take a beat, you know. And that's the thing about, like, um, overcoming obstacles in business. Sometimes it's okay to, like, you know what? Wait, what is going on? It's okay to just pause and take in what is happening and then figure out or also just wait for it to play out and then figure out, okay, this is what's happening right now. Let me navigate the space like this, you know. And then um, through doing that, we then pushed um, everything, our interviews, everything, because we also wanted to do market research on um, and see how our e-commerce stores performing during COVID. And some were actually taking off because that's when we saw like the likes of like Zulzi was getting bought out. I think Bottles Apple also yes. got bought out at that same time. So like, yes. okay, there's something here, right? Um, so then we had pushed it and then we did uh, interviews and um, we allowed um, the girls that were finalized to do um, to make their pitches publicly. And that's how we then chose Native Nylon because um, out of the brands, the fashion brands, e-commerce fashion brands that existed, a lot of them were t- targeting like lower LSM groups and having the very affordable uh, fashion. But there was nothing outside of um, e- uh, like the boutiques that exist online. Uh, there was nothing that was really catering to like um, the Instagram aesthetic, the way that it exists with like House of CB in the UK and also with um, like Fashion Nova in the US. Those are big brands. And the problem with them, because I, I would also buy from them, was that the taxes, at customs and duties that you would pay when you're importing the product are crazy expensive, even if they're like good uh, products and you like the product. So it creates 
um, a market and a room um, for something to be created locally that would fit into the space. And um, that's what Native Nylon kind of represented. And it actually has lived up to that in a way. And I'm incredibly proud of um, the team and what they've put together and the work they've put in. So we invested in Native Nylon in, what was the date? September um, 2020. And then it took us two months to bring the startup to market. And a lot went on. They were applying for licenses, or like the, um, what is this, customs. Um, we had to get the boxes done, we went into manufacturing. We um, had to go into the marketing plan for it. And then um, the store launched in November 2020. And it had such a great launch, which was received warmly. And um, we had worked with so many incredible people from the likes of Kanyumbao. Um, we dressed Anela Zondo for, and for a New Year's special at that um, in December, you know, come Tuesday on SABC One. So she was wearing yeah. Native Nylon, which was aired to like oh, 3 wow. million people. And that's just within like mm. three months of a month of being around, actually, of being operational. Mm. And we dressed the spokesperson to Minister Natim Tertwa. And so many um, incredible figures that were coming on board that, that also proves that there's product market fit because every time we would have someone of that level say, hey, I'd like to wear your brand and for, not, for nothing at that because we weren't paying them. It would be so incredible to see that there is room for what we're creating. There's room for what we're building. There are people that are interested in this and the customers that would come from that as well was just um, phenomenal for such low customer acquisition costs because we weren't spending much um, per customer mm. to, to get them on board because we weren't spending anything on the, um, on the celebrity styling side. So that has just been what has happened with the brand in just a few months of operations. And now we're looking to raise Series A funding for it. And um, it's been a phenomenal journey because so many things that I didn't think were even possible. Because I, I didn't even think we'd get one person to buy. <laughs> like, um, I was like, okay, yeah, people don't support me like that. But then it was more than being about me, which is another thing um, you need to look into as an entrepreneur is that you've got to build brands that are bigger than you. It's okay that you're like, you live a normal life and you, you're okay. But if you can build things that can outperform um, the ideas you've had for it, you will do so well. And that is by not necessarily always tying your name to it. If you can find bigger names to endorse what you're building. If you can bring better team members on board, that is what creates sustainable brands. Sure. There's something you said earlier on that I really want to touch on. And you said you, you chose those categories of e-commerce, fashion e-commerce and beauty because you could see yourself um, buying from those stores. You, you could see... Yes. Like you are, you are the customer that I think that's so important because often the, like, that's, that's how we are as human, right? Yes. We are attracted to things we can identify with. Mm. Um, so if you have power and money, um, you will put it towards something you can identify with, whether it's something because, whether it's because you want to be that or you actively use these things, whatever it is, it's ad ident identifying is so important. And I think that's why your company is so important because it is black female owned and mm -hmm. like you mentioned before um like you need black black females will see black females yes yes you know what I mean? that like 
Yes, because at the moment, people, the people that have the power, like, don't look like black females. So it would be hard to expect them to fully understand and be able to identify with the the vision that other black females have. Um, so I just appreciate so much that you as a black female are doing this oh, because I think it's so you. important for people like you in these positions. Yeah, and, and see other black people. Like, it's important that we see each other. Yeah. And only we can do that because we can truly identify with each other. Yes, yes. No, I completely agree. And also uh, building on what she just said um, in terms of um, being... It, it's great to be in business where you, whereby you can see yourself as the customer. But to extend that for people that uh, want to be like investors one day as well, the best form of investor you can ever be is one that invests in the products they interact with and invests in the types of services that they interact with. And that's something I'd been doing ever since like I was 16. The first share that I ever bought was in Sasol. And that is because it was right next door. It was something I could see, something that was tangible, something I could um, understand beyond um, what an ordinary 16-year-old would understand because I grew up in an environment whereby it was right next door, it was right there. And then you can see that, okay, this must clearly have money because all the people go to work there. And that has just been the nature of how I'd invest in um, future as well whereby I would buy stocks and shares in things that I interacted with, even now with um, investing in cryptocurrencies and stuff like that, because that is the new frontier um, we're on. It's it's important to interact with businesses whereby, or technology that you can see yourself using. And that is what makes a phenomenal investor in my eyes. Absolutely. So what have been the biggest highlights and lowlights, especially of your journey? Oh, the biggest highlights. I think the biggest highlight was just, it was actually day one when um, we first uh, launched publicly and we had um, the funding call. That was such a phenomenal moment for me. And I think there were even greater moments than that, like working with phenomenal um, stars and celebrities and seeing the returns on investments and seeing so many things happen, like signing. But day one, just seeing it launched, um, was the happiest day I ever had because um, it it had rained that day. And um, in my culture and tribe, because I'm Kosa, and um, my clan name is Nozulu. And I thought it was just such a beautiful sign because I was like, wow, it's kind of like confirmation from the heavens that you're on the right path, especially with what I wanted mm. to build for my father. That day was literally the mm. happiest because I didn't think it was going to be embraced in the way that it was because even the first post that we had made had close to 16,000, I think, retweets for that one. And I was like, wow, okay, that's a lot. Or 16,000 views on the video. And then um, because of that, I was like, there's a market for this. We're creating something that there's a market for and um, creating visibility for black women in a way and access, access in a way that didn't exist previously. And from that, um, there were a lot of springboards, a lot of um, uh, funds then started to emerge. Not only that they weren't there previously, they were there previously, but they started to prioritize black women. And I was like, okay, that's good. I like that. (laughs) That because of like the noises and, um, the work we've done, there are more people moving into the space and working to create more access. Yes. It just shows that um, we've had such incredible impact because stuff like that didn't exist. There, there were uh, previous 
in like the year before, like 2019, there weren't people who are prioritizing uh, black women in tech in in to fund them from the offset for pre-seed startups as well. Like they could find you just off of your idea alone. And we were doing that and revolutionizing the space. So I think th- that was like the highlight. The low light, okay. Visibility. Like I struggle with visibility. <laughs> I really do. Uh-huh. Um, in the sense that being hyper visible, or not necessarily hyper visible, because I've I've not gotten to like incredible levels, but being hyper visible is not something that I actually enjoy. It's been such a burden because I oh wow. <laughs> no, it really has. I don't even mean to laugh, but it makes sense. Yeah, um, it, it's been such a burden to um. Because there are expectations you set for yourself. And then there are expectations that the community sets for you because they're like, okay, this thing is moving. So you should now be doing X and doing Y, which hasn't been like Mm. necessarily your plan or the vision that you've had for yourself. And there's so much pressure to um, perform and do things a particular Mm way. And um, I haven't necessarily enjoyed being hyper-visible. So I've had to like um, at times be like, okay, it's okay for you to step back from being visible now and focus on the building, right? You don't always have to be visible all the time. That was another thing I learned. And also another thing that I found was that um, the brand could be visible without me being visible with it. So um, that also gives me the freedom to just still be an ordinary person because I enjoy being an ordinary person. I just enjoy um, not having to think about like the consequences of even just tweeting or the consequences of Mm. um, just like um, going somewhere or doing things that I want to do. So um, I think I've struggled with visibility, but it's something I'm learning to have a healthy balance of. I can actually relate to that. (laughs) I I feel you. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not for everyone. And I think there is an expectation that with the brand, um, you must be the face and yes. be in front yes. of it. Yeah. Yes. Not even just and the it, face. It, like it, to it, solve, like the, people would come, will come and be like, okay, you need to solve this. And I'm like, how? <laughs> or mm. you know, get people coming to you all the time. No, my business. And then they, they're getting angry at you and, um, or they're getting <laughs> upset that you don't necessarily, um, you don't have the capacity right now to solve everything. And you're trying to mm. do things in a steady way and build something sustainable over time. You can't just like offload all your assets into um, different startups at once, you know. Mm. And um, they don't have a clear view of that, that you're also just a person trying to make it in this world. Even though you, you, yeah. you've, you've achieved particular successes and things, it doesn't erase the fact that um, we're still, we still have struggles at this point in our lives too. Mm, mm, 100%. Okay, Lisa, so this is my favorite part of the podcast okay. um, where I get to ask my favorite question. Are you going to ask me about comes my favorite quote? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe we should talk about that too. No, <laughs> no, no, no. no so, no. Um, my favorite quote is be who you did when you were younger. And I believe oh, I that, that even though you can't go back and change time, uh, you, if there's something you would have needed to hear or someone you would have needed to see when you were younger, there's probably someone out there today who needs exactly that. Mm. So if you could go back in time and talk to your younger self, it can be you at any age, 8, 16, 20. 
what would you say to younger Lisa? No guts, no glory. And it's funny enough because it, that mm. is, um, it's, a, it's um, a quote from Rihanna, by the way. And she had said it, I'd read it in a magazine when I was actually 16. But I never really applied it. But I would say that to myself, that if you don't have the guts to show up in this world, you, you will not access any of the glory. So um, a lot of the times I would be shy to do things, not even shy to do things. I remember um, when I was in high school and I was in the top 10 and um, I was number one at the time, but a lot of people didn't like me. And it bothered me that a lot of people didn't like me um, in my grade, uh, especially like boys um, of my age at the time. And I was like, why don't they like me? And it had come from a very competitive place. And then I thought at the time, if I wasn't number one in the top 10, they would like me. So I um, kind of took a step back and decided to be cooler instead of being a nerd oh. at the time. And it actually mm. worked because then uh, um, mm. people, uh, the person that I had a crush on then was like, oh, they liked me back at that point. But it had come at the cost of my genius and my uh, talent and my visibility, you know. And I ended up learning from that, but only at a later stage in life that you don't need to dim your light for anyone. People that are good for you would love your light as well. And um, you have to have more guts in this world. If somebody cannot handle what you are at that point, <laughs> you are going to get something better along the way. So I think that is what I'd say to my younger self, that no guts, no glory. You need to put yourself out there. You need to um, put your ideas out there. More than putting yourself out there, put your ideas out there. Test them. If they fail, fine. Then you will try another, something else. You're so young. You can do so many things. You can be multiple things at the same time. And you never have to settle for one idea or one identity. You can be um, multifaceted. And it is okay to be multifaceted. It is okay to have um, different talents and have different businesses and have uh, different types of investments that you hold because at the end of the day, all of these things, um, the sum of these things together are who you are. You aren't just your business. You are so much more than that, but it's going to take you having the guts to explore your ideas. Wow. I Wow. Yes. I, I don't want to add anything onto that. I feel like I'm, I'll, I'll ruin it. <laughs> I don't want to ask any other question after that. I'm going to ruin it. That was that was perfect. That was absolutely perfect. Uh, Lisa, how can our audience get in touch with you, follow your journey, follow your business? Um, yeah. I'm on Twitter. You can find me at Lisa Lamla, but the business account is the more important one, at Kulalula. <laughs> and um, also on LinkedIn. Um, I do plan on being on other platforms, but later on in the year, because right now is just a time to build. <laughs> so yes. um, I do plan on like also being on YouTube and um, multiple other platforms later on. But yeah, at Lisa Lamla on Twitter, at Kulalula for the business. Um, I think also on all platforms, you can just look for it and find it. And Melissa Mabinza on LinkedIn. This has been amazing. I Thank know, you so much so for sharing your journey.
Thank you so much for listening to She Brigade. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend you think will enjoy it too. You can also share it on your social media and tag us at She Brigade. Don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter using the link in the show notes. We'd also love to hear your feedback, so feel free to email your questions or your suggestions to info at shebrigade.com or DM us on Instagram or Twitter at shebrigade. Until next time, bye.